Thank you for listening to Tex-Mex at the Northern Border. Hello, this is the Tex-Mex at the Northern Border. Uh, Amanda Mendoza Hawkins. Today I'm sitting down with Pastor Kurt DeWitt and I am so privileged to hear this testimony about a man who was not only raised in the church but then later on went and has just literally given his life to God. He just stands firm in the word and he was born in Michigan Flint. He w- went to school at Andrews University, and he's just touched many lives and has lived a couple of places around the country. And we're just thankful today to have him. And I'm just going to just open up real quick in a prayer. Mm-hmm. Father God, just thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to share his story and to give you the glory and all the victory. We ask that you please fill us with the Holy Spirit and may your will be done. And we just ask that you please let this touch many lives and just work across the globe with the fire of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Pastor, I just want to, I'm just excited and I'm humble again to be in God's home and just uh, to share these stories of how much he not only just means to us individually, but what he means to humanity Mm, and the word of God that is just given to us as a manual in a sense. And it's just something so powerful when when a person opens it up and just starts reading it and lets it wash over them. Mm. And um, I'm just excited to hear your testimony and the journey that God has brought you from the beginning to, to now. Yeah. Amen. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes. Amanda, I love to, uh, to share the older I've gotten, I've realized, you know, uh, I was sharing with you earlier how just looking back and seeing, especially I'll share some of those uh, darkest moments you yes. know, to see how, God was closer to me then than even, you know, other times when things seemed when to be When other things smoothly. seemed to be peaceful and yes. smoothly. And, yeah. yeah, so it, it's been an amazing journey, uh, you know, starting off with, I mean, I was raised, as you stated, in a, you know, a Seventh-day Adventist Christian home, conservative home, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. fairly safe uh, in that. And, and I remember as a, a child, I, I loved... I loved God. Even at five or six years of age, I remember begging my, my dad, you know, let me go to prayer meeting with you. And my dad would say, well, you stay home with mom. And, and I would beg and beg and beg and put on those puppy dog eyes and say, no, dad, I, I like to go. And well, you need to behave yourself. And I typically did mm-hmm. I, for some reason, you know, and, and the Lord, uh, you know, he touched my life early on. And I just loved to sing with when they sang songs out of the hymn books. I love to you know, participate in the prayer, and you don't know a whole lot, understand a whole lot, but I just love to be in the presence. I love evangelistic meetings. I didn't understand mm. half of what was, of course, being said, right. but I remember having that Bible, you know, and getting eight or nine nights in and getting that free Bible, and I was so excited and trying to underline when the pastor would tell us to underline this verse, and so I always, God always seemed to have his hand, you know, connected somehow to me, mm. but I remember things took a turn, you know, when you leave that elementary school age and you begin to, you know, head into that high school, those high yeah. school years. I remember it wasn't long in coming, you know, when I started having friends and sometimes my brother um, introducing th- new things that mm-hmm. I had not grown up with. Right. I didn't grow up attending movie theaters. 
You know, my parents taught me that, you know, there's not a whole lot of good in Hollywood. In fact, probably we can say no good, I think rightly so today. Oh, has definitely come to to light for sure. And so a lot of things began to be introduced into my life. And I, you know, gave into a little bit of temptation, trying this out or trying that out and not realizing that the enemy, you know, was is also dogging our steps. And mm-hmm. he's trying to get us off track from loving God. I remember, you know, uh, you get, I got caught up in the music world. You mm-hmm. know, I remember the first trip to, to uh, Academy. We went to uh, an Adventist Academy mm-hmm. in uh, Grand Ledge. And I remember uh, my brother having on music that I detested. Yeah. You know, it was that rock music. And I remember the first time I actually plugged my ears as we're going down the road, and he's loving the music. He has it really loud and So everything. he was your older brother? He's my older brother. How many yeah. siblings do Two you have? Two years older. Um, I have three siblings. So I was the youngest, the okay. baby, the family. My sisters were kind of a different generation, eight and ten years older than I was. Mm-hmm. So they were out of the home. Uh, but that day, you know, he turns on the music, and I'm plugging my ears, and I'm really, really disturbed by it. And mm-hmm. he looks over, and he laughs. Two weeks later, I'm singing along with a number of the songs. Mm. literally within a couple of weeks, you know, that beat, that music starts getting into your, and I really believe the music really turned everything in my life geared towards the enemy's ground. Not was that realizing. 70s rock or was that this the was 80s? 80s, 80s yep, rock? This was okay. 80s. Um, 79 to 80 was when I kind of entered the, yeah. entered the scene there. And so um, I remember... Uh, it just something inside of me, not realizing the work of the demons you know, mm. that, are, that are in the music world. And so um, I started, when it was basically, you know, the girl situation where you start getting attention, you know, of girls. And I wasn't really used to that. Of course, when you're in elementary, you're not really thinking Paying about those things. Paying attention to that, yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, you have girls giving attention and you're, you feel that stirring in your heart, you know, like we all go through either way whether uh, male or female. And so, you know, I can see tracing back, there's a bit of a breakdown. I would get caught up in friends, always hanging out after school. It was a day school, mm-hmm. not a, a boarding academy. And so we'd often hang out in the evening times, especially on weekends. And then I realized that I started, I had a relationship with God. You know, I would study spiritual things, read spiritual books, sometimes, the, you know, the Bible. And, but I would go sometimes days without reading the Bible, and I'd realize I'd feel this emptiness. Mm-hmm. You know, as I look back, I remember feeling this emptiness whenever I lost sight of him and got caught up in the friend's world, which is so easy to do. Yeah. And so every now and then I would feel that emptiness, and I would, you know, pray a little extra that given morning. And I would, you know, open up and I'd start reading again. I'd feel that reconnection, and I felt like that big sigh of, you know, you know yeah, I yeah. still feel you there. Um, unfortunately, by the time I got to my senior year, I noticed a, uh, my, all three of the years leading up to that, I noticed that there was this group of guys, and they were the most popular guys. And they were the ones who were always cutting up, always joking around, yeah. the ones often getting in trouble, which it wasn't in my nature. I, I, I tried to say I always stay out of trouble. And it was respectful to the teachers and principal and all that. But I started noticing they got a lot of attention, a lot of laughs. And I started having this desire inside of me, you know, that I wanted to, you know, I wish I could be one of them. Mm, and, yeah. and so I started trying to hang out, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of joining their circle. They'd come in, I started hanging out with them, not realizing, again, this was the enemy's plot and ploy to pull me away, deface the image of God in whatever good that, you know, God could shine through me to my friends. And he started, you know, I started feeling that, that wow, this is amazing. 
And it wasn't long, my senior year, I was in. Mm -hmm. I was one of this group of five guys. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get in trouble and I was literally that guy in the group, but not really feeling the rebellion like I know a lot of them, if not all of them, felt. And did often, any of them go to church? They did. We all did. You we, all did. Okay. We, we went. To, a number of us went to the same church in Lansing, you know, the Adventist Church there, and we'd sit up in the balcony if our parents allowed us, you know, and we'd be drawing pictures and not listening to the sermon type thing. And mm -hmm. so, uh, it wasn't long as I hang, hung out with these friends. I remember one evening, you know, we started kind of breaking the Sabbath, you know, and kind of every now and then skipping church or heading to the movies and forget all about our creator. And, and I remember it was one evening, a Saturday night, that I went to another friend's house, a new, new home I hadn't been to, and my friends were gathered there, and, and I was excited. I was in. I was accepted. And uh, all of a sudden, to my dismay, I saw one of the guys go to the refrigerator and come out with beer in their hands. Mm -hmm. And I remember the devastation I felt in my heart. My mm -hmm. heart just sank as I saw my best friend, who I almost revered, you know, he was athletic. We were both athletic and the yeah. athletes of the school, and that this group was very athletic, and mm -hmm. in the sports world, very self-centered, which is another story, maybe another day. But I remember when he pulled this out and he started drinking a beer, and he's like, hey, Kurt, you want a beer, you know? I was distraught. I mean, I felt like just bursting out crying mm -hmm. because this was not what I wanted. I never you know, ever would choose to hang out and do these kinds of things. And so I told him, no, no, man, you know, and the, the peer pressure began. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and my, my motto at that point in time was I still occasionally would go back to read the Bible and, and stay close to God, feel that reconnection. But the pressure you know, it grows and you don't realize that each of the guys are using the foul language. And I was, I never decided, I never woke up saying, you know what, I want to swear. I want to take God's name in vain. And it wasn't long in before I'm starting to use similar wording, you know, by beholding scriptures tells us mm -hmm. in Corinthians that, you know, we become changed. And slowly but surely, my motto was that, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to be the designated driver. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to party like these guys do. And I found out they did it more often than I realized. And I'm going to be that guy. I'm mm -hmm. going to be the guy to influence. That kind of looks out for them right. a little bit. And draw them to, you know, to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so, lo and behold, as is usually the case, um, you know, they suck the one in that's trying to be that designated driver and that one who's going to stay out of the stuff that's bad. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long before... You know, I'm using the same kind of foul language, mm -hmm. much to my, you know, sadness, deep sadness today. Um, never wanting to hurt God, never really about God. I just lost sight of God, seeing it popular, thinking that it was cool to swear, yeah. thinking it was cool to listen to this kind of music, mm -hmm. and thinking it was cool to, to um, even occasionally, you know, try a little bit of the partying thing. And you get attention from girls sometimes in that mix too, which was, which was the, uh, a greater danger. Yeah. And so when I realized, you know, and I just got kind of caught up into it, not a heavy partying and like every other, you know, weekend, every weekend, anything like that, but just hanging out. And I remember the first time when I decided, it was the very first time I decided I wanted, I would give in, you mm -hmm. know, my, two of my friends were sitting there. They were, they, he broke out one of them, a Jack Daniels. And I remember them pouring shots and and I just gave in at that moment. Mm -hmm. I was not prepared. I wasn't staying close to God. And I remember 
taken, you know, a swig and it's horrible, of course. Yeah. You know, it tastes terrible. It's so It's bur- miserable. It burns it really burns. bad. There's nothing good about it. No. And so I remember seeing my best friend's brother, older brother, sitting there shaking his head. And he's just, he's grinning from ear to ear. And he's just, and we're like, what? What's wrong? He said, I can't believe that we're sitting here drinking with Kurt DeWitt. I can't believe that we're sitting here drinking with Kurt DeWitt. I wasn't, wasn't known to be in that world. Yeah. You know, they knew, you know, that they had seen something of Jesus, praise the Lord, in spite of that. So fast forwarding quickly to this part of the story, I remember it was a, it was a Sabbath. My friends and I decided to skip church and go to a park. And one of them had a dune buggy. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice track, a dirt track, and big hill kind of at the end of it. And I remember, you know, the partying kind of started and it wasn't a lot, just, you know, kind of more or less holding. I would always usually hold a beer and kind of act like I was drinking it because I never liked the taste of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was miserable to me, Yeah. <laughs> but wanted to be one of the cool guys. And so I remember this day, you know, one of my friends got in the dune buggy with a guy who owned it and they spun around the track, you know, and, and I watched them kicking up the dirt and, and they come to this lab. We were standing at the last part where they come up this hill and then land and he'd give a little extra gas, front, front end, you know, wheels would lift off the ground and, uh-huh. and come over the top and everybody's yelling like, oh, wow, that was so cool, you know. And, and then he, that one guy got out, one of my friends, and so he'd look over there, all right, you're, who's next? Do you want to go? And I'm like, oh, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. And, and I began at that time, the Holy Spirit was really pounding me. And I heard the words in my mind over and over, don't get in that doom buggy. Don't get in that doom buggy. And I began to feel a sense of fear. Mm. So here I'm, you know, breaking the Sabbath. We're ignoring God, you know, worship and all the rest. And so the second friend went around and he came back and he, he gunned that engine a little bit further. And those wheels went off the ground a little bit higher and then finally, you know, came over the top. And I was swallowing hard now and I was so nervous. And so, all right, who's next? Come on, Kurt. I'm like, oh, no. You know, and I started making excuses, saying, oh, you know, you know what? Yeah, it's getting late. And I'm thinking I should be in church about now, you know, but not saying that out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one third friend. And I said, no, you go ahead. And third one went and uh, came around and wheels went up a little higher. And I was really starting to sweat because I, there was no other friends. And mm-hmm. It was me come on, Kurt, you got to go, you know, and they really pushed me. I'm like, no, guys, I'm, I'm good. And, and I finally gave in to the peer pressure. So I buckled in and I held on and I, I wasn't able to think about praying because, you know, we're, we're desecrating, you know, God and, and a little bit of the parting thing going on. And I remember going around the track and he's yelling, screaming, you know, and the, the dust is kicking up and he's looking over like, is this fun? I'm like, yeah, this is fun. I'm like, hang on, help me, you know. <laughs> help me. And it was, it was a terrible feeling. Yeah, I got so, myself in a lot of situations like that too. Yeah. Yeah. So we come around that last, last bend and here's this hill. And it's not a huge hill, but it's a pretty good size, you know, going up this hill. And he, I look at his face and he's got the greatest confidence on his face. And he puts that pedal to the metal this time. Yeah. And he begins to fly up that hill. And those front end wheels, I just remember it almost feeling like it was slow motion. Mm-hmm. But as we got up about halfway, the front end starts coming up, you know, and I'm going little by little like this. And pretty soon the back wheels were almost to the top over the edge, but they didn't quite get there. We literally are up on end like this. And I remember everything came to a standstill. Like literally, it's like time froze for that moment. And I thought to myself, I'm hanging on to the bar overhead. I'm hanging on the sidebar. And I thought to myself, oh, no, we're going over backwards. Right. Which is exactly what we did. Mm. When we flipped over, 
We rolled, did some sort of twist, and somehow came upright at the bottom, facing the other direction. And I was just like, you know, you start to breathe at that point, looking around like, and he jumped high. He was already out of his seatbelt. It scared the driver so bad. He had unbuckled, and he was standing out, and he was breathing hard. And, and I thought, I'm alive. You know, I'm like, I'm alive, you know. And all of a sudden, I heard this really strange crackling sound. And I thought, oh, no. And I turned around. I remember looking to my right, and I couldn't see my right arm, but I saw flames. The gas tank was right behind me. Oh, my goodness. And it's goodness. an open dune buggy, so it's just the frame. Right. The gas tank is literally right here. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, the panic that immediately said, and mm. I moved my arm. I couldn't see my arm. Yeah. And my arm was on fire. Oh, my gosh. It was actually the gasoline must have spilled on my back and down my, down my arm, and it was on fire. And I started, you know, yelling, trying to get my arm out, you know, the fire out. And I'd get it almost out and go for the seatbelt, and one thought is on my mind. The only thing I could think of was this thing is going to blow. Mm. And to this day, I know why now that it didn't blow. But why it didn't, you know, as soon as that fire kicked in is beyond me at the time. So I'm trying to, you know, yanking and trying to get out and I can't get the seatbelt out. And my arm flares up again because probably the gasoline and I'm trying to put it out. I'm yelling. Did you have a jacket on? At the time? I had a, a white shirt, and I know oh, back, back in the, my, my day growing up as a teenager, they sometimes had shirts that had fire retardant, and I believe this was one of those oh, because wow. I didn't see any marks or burns on the back of the shirt. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get out. It's going to blow. is on my mind, and I can't get out. My best friend is frozen like 10 or 12 feet away. He, everybody's frozen. Mm -hmm. He said later it's like they were watching, had entered one of those movies, and the guy gets out of the bur burning thing, and I can't get out. I can't think to pray. I'm in a panic. This is going to blow, and I don't remember how, but the seatbelt came off, and I remember jumping out thinking, I got to get out. It's going to blow. It's going to blow, and I took off running, and you know, back then we had long hair in the back. Right. Um, yeah. The 80s were, you know, that's kind of what we did. We had hair down below the collar. Yeah. And, and my friend, all of a sudden, they're all yelling at me. You know, you're on fire. You're on fire. Get on the ground. Get on the ground. And I'm running just thinking, I need to get away from this. I need to get bike. away from that. I don't want to drop to the ground and near so, that. And he said, you know, my friend told me, he said, it's like I was watching those movies and your hair's burning. We're watching this oh and gosh. on fire. And so when I got about 50, 60 yards away, I ran as fast as I could. And, and when I got there and I started rolling the ground, I heard the explosion. Within probably five seconds or less, that tank blew up. Oh my goodness. When I got that far away, I heard the And so I get the fire out, other friend comes up, he's throwing dirt at my face and everything. And I'm like, okay, got it out, stop, stop. He's like literally flinging dirt. He's yeah. A, he's in a panic. I, so I sit up and I look over at my arm, which was the worst of it. And I've got like, you know, like, not handful, handfuls, but I've got skin that's just coming off in my hands. It's just like oh dripping my off my arm. Yes. I ended up with second, third degree burns. This was the worst of it. Got into a uh, truck. I said, this is, I looked at it and I sat there. They came up, my other friends, and, and everybody's just like shocked. And so they, uh, you know, I said, this is going to start hurting. I didn't feel any pain at that moment, but I knew it was going to start hurting. Your adrenaline hurting. was kicked in at that moment. It was kicked in. So we got in the truck and his, his brother drove. He was next to me, my best friend. Will and I remember as I'm going, I'm st starting, I'm feeling the pain. I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. And I'm starting to feel pain in my back too. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, Will, I said, check my back. My back is killing me. And he looked at a white shirt, clean, no marks. And he just kind of, you know, he's like, no, dude, there's nothing wrong. Your shirt's not even burnt. And second time it hurt so bad. I said, 
before we got to the house, I said, check again, lift my shirt up. And it's all I heard was he lifted my shirt up and I heard, oh, I said, what? He said, your back is melted. Oh he said, it's like looking, the whole back was melted. I ended up with burns over almost 20% of my body. Mm. Um, you How know, old were you when this happened? I was 18. You were 18. Yeah, I just graduated school. It was the summertime, middle of our, our camp meeting that we have in mm. Grand Ledge. It's a huge camp meeting for the Adventist world coming in. And, you know, that, that was what I call round one of a Damascus experience. You know, this was a time when, I mean, it was a wake-up call. I didn't start to make immediate changes. You know, I still hung out. We went to college and everything, but it just turned everything in my life upside down. And to see, you know, I still have, you know, some scars under here in my back. I don't think any scars on my back at all, just second degree, and it healed up wonderfully. I, I was in the hospital two weeks, and while I was in the hospital, I actually became addicted to morphine because they gave lots of morphine, you know, four times a day to help me through the pain. You got to get unclothed and get in this big tub. They pull all the dead skin off every day. It was most miserable experience. But I got addicted to the morphine. And so one day they called in and called my parents and they said, we think he's addicted to the morphine. I started asking for it in between times a lot. Mm-hmm. And so they said that they were going to, you know, um, they were going to take me off of it, put me on Demerol and some other, you know, a couple of drugs that were not so addictive. And I'll tell you what, I thought the burns were bad. Coming Even just two was... weeks to come off that morphine, I felt like a 200-pound gorilla had jumped on my back and latched on, and I couldn't get it off. It was the worst hallucinations going on. And one, one night it got so bad, my mom was there late, and I said, Mom, I said, Mom, I got to get out of here. I got to run. I got to do something. I got to run. I got to run. And um, she got permission, I don't know how she did it, but it was like 11 o'clock at night and she got permission for me, got me all wrapped up and uh, went out to these long hospital hallways, you know how long they, yeah. they are and nobody's there. And she said, okay, son, just go, go, go. And, and I took off and I raced up and down these trying to escape this gorilla, you know, of this, uh, this hallucinating, you know, it, it was terrible. It was worse than the being burned in all honesty, mm. even though it didn't last as long, praise the Lord. So quite a trial, um, you know, God was trying to get my attention. I, I think a couple of uh, verses I'd like to share because these, in fact, I've got a quotation as well. Let me share these with, with you here, Amanda. Absolutely. These are kind of interesting. I think back about, you know, why didn't that, why didn't, you know, that tank blow up? That's my, that's my, I've often looked back and thought, that should have blown. Mm-hmm. I was in there some, a number of seconds, probably two or three minutes, you know, trying to get out, put my arm out and everything. And it shouldn't, you know, gasoline fires don't just wait. No. You know, when the fire spark hits, I mean, things explode. Right. And it wasn't a full tank, you know, it was, you know, half empty at least, or, you know, there's explosions. So why was it, how was it that God you know, didn't allow things to happen. I'm sure the devil would have loved to take in my life in a, living in sin at that point and not obeying and following the Lord. And, you know, I think about, you know, scriptures tells us, if you love me, John 14, 15, keep my commandments. You know, scriptures also, I have people that have come to me numerous times and they, they talk about, you know, the commandments of God. And they share with me, you know, we don't have to keep the, keep the commandments. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. We don't have to um, because, you know, Jesus died and he did all we need and we just need to love him. You know, we just need to know Jesus. I hear people tell me that a lot. 
And when you look at scriptures, if you love me, keep, me, keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. Meaning that's the result of really loving God is I love to keep his commandments. It's kind of like my wife and I. And you know, we, I married her, there's commandments in a marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's vows that you promise. I love you so much, I don't wanna look at another woman. I don't want to be with anybody else. I love waking up with, with my wife. We'll talk about her, you know, another time, yeah. maybe or at the end when we get later in the story. But it's, it's not grievous. They're not, you know, like, oh, I gotta keep these commandments of the marriage. It's because we love it. And I think that's why 1 John 2, 3 says, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know, I find these, these, these scriptures interesting. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Mm. So we hear it over and over and over again. We don't keep the commandments to be saved. We don't keep, we love God so much that we read the word and whatever he says in the word, we know is going to make us happy. Mm. It, can, it puts us in a fence that keeps us safe. And so I think to myself back to that moment, why didn't God allow that tank? Why didn't he allow the devil to destroy my life? How did I get out of this? I know it was a God thing. And, you know, my conclusion is, number one, God is long-suffering and, and gracious and merciful. So this gracious is, and so merciful. This is what he told yes. Moses, wasn't it? When he put him in the cleft of the rock. Moses said, hey, show me your glory. And God said, all right, I'll let you see as much as you can see in the very back end, you know, after I pass you. But that wasn't his glory, his brightness. What was his glory was what he stated. You know, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in truth, and will forgive iniquity and won't acquit the wicked, those who don't repent. But grace, mercy, love. You know, God traces from cause to effect. He knew who I was. Did I deserve to be saved from that explosion, that fire? Absolutely not. You know, I was, I was breaking his law. I was trampling upon him. My example was leading others astray as well. And so, you know, my conclusion is simple that, you know, God is merciful. He kept his angel there to hold that taint together. He knew where my heart was really at. Now, I'm not saying I had a good heart because the, the scriptures tell us every heart is desperately wicked, You're right? deceitful above everything. So as good as we think we are, even when we're walking with the Lord, we have a desperately wicked heart. Every day we sin. We can't, we can't, there's really no way we can't to get trust away our from hearts. that. Right. Yeah, well, Jesus is our only way. Yes. You know, being forgiven and, you know, it's like a marriage. Marriages are meant to, the more you walk together, the more you love each other. Mm -hmm. This was God's plan in the beginning with Adam and Eve. You know, you grow, your love grows, just like our love grows with him. It's, it was supposed to be the same sort of representation of him and, him and us, right? Mm -hmm. God and us. And so um, we fall far short, of course. You know, we struggle in marriages. You know, anyone who says they have a perfect marriage, they're lying. No, you have to work on it every day with Jesus. <laughs> you, you have, have to, to pray have, for it. And that, kind of, that might have been why you made it through that. I mean, at the time you said that you weren't that close to God. You were kind of, in right. a sense, pushing God away because you were out with these guys and you were messing around and playing. But I'm sure that your mom and your dad were still praying for you every day. I'm glad you brought that up. And prayers Absolutely. from other people definitely helped because yeah. when I was a teenager, I moved away 
at 15 and I was in Virginia with my parents and my brother and they did not go to church. You know, they didn't read the Bible. Um, Mm. I can't say she didn't pray. I don't know, but it just wasn't something that was a part of our everyday lives. Mm. But I know that my mamma was praying over me and I Mm. did a lot of stupid stuff that I should not be alive today. I remember one weekend I went to Virginia beach we were just me and some friends were in a hotel room no one was doing anything with anybody but we were just hanging out with some people that they had known for a little bit there and i was riding on the back of a motorcycle all weekend and we go back two weeks later and the guy had died oh wow he had gotten in a motorcycle accident he had Mm -hmm. bald tires and I remember getting on this bike being like, I think I'll be okay. Oh, you, and you, you went for a ride? I went for a ride all oh, weekend. Wow. All weekend we were driving oh, on this thing. Man. And we went back a few weeks later and he he had passed away. He had wrecked the car, the, the motorcycle. Mm. Um, I think a car had came around and the tires were balded and he skid and that was it. Wow. And I and literally less than two weeks before that I was on there. Now, did I deserve that grace and mercy? Could've, Probably could've not. Could right. have been we, me. we never do. We never, never do know. deserve God's grace. No, but it's a free gift. What what may have saved me? Probably p- prayers from my mammal, as prayers from your parents may have saved you. Absolutely, especially my mother's prayers. You know, all my all my life. I'll mm-hmm. tell you, she did very little preaching to me. You know, she she look at my music. You know, when I was listening to music, I had sixty four. Uh, 64 cassettes back then you know yeah young people don't know what cassettes are but that's what we had and from Michael Jackson's you know beat it to you know uh, Sammy Hagar to ACDC you name it I mean it had all of it this music my Mm -hmm. mom one time in all of my teenage years she just looked at once one cassette the cover of it and she said son do you think these are kind of you know songs that God wants you to listen to that's Mm -hmm. all she ever said to me but I knew she was praying for me yeah. Because when I was, it wasn't long after that same summer that I remember one day I got this sudden urge to, you know, God had been working on my mind with the music. And I remember feeling this sense of urgency. Mom and dad were gone out of the house. I was home for summer break from the first year of college and, and God wanted me to destroy these cassettes. And I'll never forget the day. And I thought it's kind of weird to suddenly think this. And I knew my mother was praying for me. You know, every day probably praying that yeah. God would help me give this music up. And I remember... I finally, I literally grabbed my whole cassette case and I walked outside and I grabbed a hammer. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, what am I, I doing? I love this. I love this music. And I, I almost didn't understand it, but I just knew that it was time that I needed to do this. And I remember, you know, saying, God, are you sure? You know, I can't hang on to, you know, Billy Jean and Michael Jackson was my favorite back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, and of course, God's like, uh, you need to destroy these. So there was a part that I had to play in this. I remember pulling out, if I was going to go after this, I had to take my favorite, and I took Michael Jackson out, and I set it on the cement. And I remember it was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life up to that point. I took that hammer back, and, and I brought the hammer down. As soon as it hit this cassette and broke it somewhat, it didn't hit really hard, but hard enough to crack it, mm-hmm. I remember it was like this weight, like a block, one of the, you know, the big blocks, like somebody had lifted a block off of my chest. And I looked around and thinking, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. That felt pretty good. I feel a little, and I hit it again and shattered it. And I grabbed another one and my eyes are lighting up. And I put this cassette down there and I brought that hammer and sh- I'm shattering Sammy Hager and I'm shattering ACDC. And every, every blow, I felt this like block of weight lift off of me and like out of me. 
And I didn't think about it then, but later on I realized that demons are so intricately interwoven with rock music and a lot of the music that they have out today that I didn't realize that these were demons that were literally leaving, you know, leaving being in control of me. This music controlled my life. And 64 cassettes later, you know, there's this big pile, big <laughs> pile in front of me and I was free from the music. That's where God went first after my encounter, you know, with, uh, with the fire and the doom buggy. And uh, it turned everything around. I never had another desire ever from that point on to listen to any of those songs. Mm. Every now and then I'll you know, be flipping through the radio now. And of course, my generation may be running some of the stations. There seems to be a lot of 80s. And I uh, hear once in a while those songs, but I turn it through quickly and I'm not drawn to want to listen for a few seconds. And I just praise the Lord. See, that's, that's the power of God. Mm. But there, are, there is something usually, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. So there's something we have to surrender. You know, God says, you know, hey, I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the fixing. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you new desires. And I'll take this desire away from you, but do you want it? You know, you got to ask me for it. Yeah. And so I asked him for his help. He gave me the strength. And it's like all the times, the elements that caused me to fall further from him. He began to deal with those one by one and help me come back to at least the starting point of getting back to read and study and get, get, get together, have that relationship grow with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, music was the big one. You know, yeah. that, that helped me kind of come to a point, other aspects and like, you know what? I see God, you know, the, you know, the well, movies. Well, you're very and, blessed to have parents that raised you in the church. Yes. A lot of parents don't raise their children in the church. Right. Or they stop taking them at a certain point. I remember I was seven when we stopped going mm. to church. And my dad never went to church with us. It was Vital just my age mom. Too. Yeah. yeah and I remember going to church as a teenager trying to, um, there was a few friends. I had a friend, Courtney. I had a really good friend, Echo. She was the one I used to kind of gravitate to, and her family was all about going to church, and that was a big part of me. But then when I moved to Virginia, I didn't, I didn't have any of that, and I went to school with very rich kids that had brand new BMWs, Honda Accords, mm. all this stuff, oh. and and it was just a night and day difference of what I was used to, and so I just kind of always felt in my teen years kind of just kind of thrown around in the world in mm. a sense. And if I wanted to have a little taste of God, if I wanted to kind of learn about that, it was really a phone call to my great grandmother. Mm. That was my only connection for years i didn't go to church until again until i was 29 years old wow and i guess one thing i wanted to mention too is i heard this um yesterday when i was watching a sermon on tv from radiant church out in kalamazoo the the preacher was talking about today there's only six percent of youth in america that calls themselves christian six percent and it kind of takes me back to you know how you said in the 80s you were listening to a lot of music and it was very impactful that's what i was raised on mtv yeah, my yes, parents were in their tw- my parents were in their 20s in the 80s so we listened to all the rock that was on the radio i remember listening and seeing metallica and it was just it frightened me that one music video of the unforgiven was this old man digging into the wall with a spoon and it just <laughs> creeped me out you wonder and why would, we kept going it, back to that kind of stuff and, 
<laughs> but like you said, it was just still on the radio. It was on the TV all the time. Yeah. And so even if I didn't want to be around it, it was just, it was still there. And I just feel like that's what it is today. When you said that you were feeling that as a youth, um, mm-hmm. that emptiness and feeling like something was missing from you. And all of a sudden you were cutting up with these guys and you were doing everything that they were doing, you know, imagine how that was for you, but you were still going to church. You still had a family praying over you every night. Yeah. Imagine the youth today. We're talking about 94% of American children that don't have God in their lives, that don't yeah. have church in their lives, that don't go to a youth. And to this, uh, and then I saw another statistic where they said a million youth will leave the church this year. And yeah. it's because they don't find Jesus compelling, because they don't know Jesus, because no one's introducing them to and, the mercy and, and the grace. Largely the parents' fault. And it's know, just, it's really hard when you, when a country for a few generations kind of steps away from the church. Yeah. And we're starting to kind of see that today. And, and to think that they're going to run, they'll end up running our country. And correct. We, now we see the mess. He's still yeah. a whole generation. Now it's two or three generations down the road. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Oh, it's, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. And you know? it just kind of reminded me of that when you were talking about the music and the pull of it, it, it had consequences right because now those people are parents and were they impactful you know were as on their children as their parents were on them probably not probably not you know? well, many of my generation are not even in the church anymore mm. you know there was that uh, again you know our parents do the best they can but there's often a lack whether it's you know too works oriented and didn't bring Jesus you know as the front and center whatever it may be the case um, we see the, the outcropping of it now. You're right. I mean, the kids don't know because the parents, most many of the parents don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. They have forgotten if they were raised in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've let the things of the world kind of creep in and just take over. Are the things of the world creep into things that used to be wholesome? Like 50, 60 years ago, mm, yeah, Disney true. used to be kind of a wholesome entertainment for I remember children. All family and now, 7 o'clock every Sunday night watching Disney. And then now it's not. You know, there's like this demonic presence that's creeped into the company of Disney. And now they've mixed up all this godliness and all this evil and put a nice little bow tie on it and have presented it to the children. Make it family fun still. And and you have to make a decision on, at least for my generation, say, okay, it may have been okay for me as a child, but it's not okay anymore for things my children have, to watch it. Things have changed. And, th- and things have changed, and now we're facing all of these things that used to be okay. They're not okay anymore. You know, football used to be something that you'd watch. It wouldn't control you, but then Sports Center come. Mm. And then the smartphones, and you can watch all of this all the time, and it's something that's constantly in front of you, and the seasons get longer, and then everything gets more hype, and then before you know it, your years have gone by with just watching nothing but sports. And sports become our idols. It, become yeah. our gods. Yeah, so true. I was reminded of this quotation. It's in the book called Desire of Ages. Fits in with what we're talking about here, what I was sharing earlier. It says, faith is in no sense allied to presumption. It kind of makes a distinction here. This is interesting. Only he who has true faith is secure against presumption. For presumption is Satan's counterfeit of faith. Here we go. 
Faith claims God's promises and brings forth fruit in obedience. Presumption also claims the promises, but uses them as Satan did to excuse transgression. Mm. So here's the difference between faith and presumption. If I live, if I claim to be a Christian, as you were talking about earlier, if I claim to be a Christian, and I was at that time in my life, leading up to the doombaking, go to church for most Sabbaths and worship, and you know, I was a Christian in name, I had been baptized at 13 and all the rest. But it, when I turned my eyes off of Christ and off of obeying him, finding that peace and no fear, and began to focus on things of the world, friends of the world, then that would be presumptuous of me to get into a doom buggy and knowing that there's a danger there and knowing that we're living, breaking the, the law of God and breaking his heart, you know, uh, really most importantly, um, you know, there's a danger, that's presumption, you mm -hmm. know, to assume that, you know what, yeah, God will protect me, he'll get me out of this fire. Of course, I didn't have that mindset and God knew where I was at. God traces always from cause to effect. He knew that you, you know, like you described, you know, and many others that grow up, they don't have a lot of God or any of God. Mm -hmm. They're not led to be taught how to pray and they're not taught how to read their Bible that Jesus loves me, this I know. And so God, he's so merciful and so loving. He knows and he traces and he sees where we would be if we had, you know, that. And he knows that we'll listen, you know, when the time is ripe in his time. Mm -hmm. And so, but you're, you're so absolutely correct. And, you know, that's why we, we need to be prayer warriors. Yeah. You know, everybody that believes and loves the Lord, we need to be praying by name for people. You know, and not only that, regions, because I find um, on this podcast every time that every month on the 21st, this episode will drop. And every uh, every month on the 21st, there is someone that will in Germany listen to it right off the bat. Mm, I mean, yeah. right when and they're hungry for it. Yeah. So then I started doing some research about Germany and come to find out they have animal brothels there now. And when you think about Germany as a country, the last hundred years, it's been really hard. Been There's painful. been something of just pulsating of evil there. Yeah. And, you and know, with World War One, World War Two, yep. and then, you know, and then after that, and now it's starting to come up again. And then now we had this COVID push on uh, on society where they wanted to just fill everybody with fear yeah. and it's just kind of taken over and so i pray for that person that's listening to it in germany because they're hungry for the message they're mm. hungry to see what god's doing in people's lives that's right and i just pray that that person opens up the bible and just starts shining with jesus you know yeah. that god just starts filling their heart and filling them with with you know with the right path you know, right. to get off, to get away from anything that might be trying to pull them away because they're obviously wanting to hear what God's power and love and without, promise is all about. And it's yeah. always here found in the Bible for us. Without God, there is no happiness. There's yeah. only filling of the fleshly lust, which brings some pleasure. For a few, for a few minutes. But, it's not but then you find yourself happiness. bored again. Yes. Yeah. It's like yeah, I've described to a lot of youth when I do uh, speak to youth, you know, talk about a movie. How long does the, the excitement of a movie last? You know, how long before, you know, back in the day, we'd go back to the newspaper. We didn't have, you know, cell phones and look up to see when the next movie would get. We'd open up the newspaper and, okay, oh, hey, this is showing here next, let's, let's go there next Sunday or whatever. And, you know, it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. Everything, even the sexual pleasures, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride, you know, pride of life, it doesn't last. Yeah. It leaves you empty. 
So the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. I started off with him early on, didn't know a lot about it. I had a relationship with God. But then I thought I was enjoying life to the fullest with my friends mm -hmm. during these times. And then, you know, the Lord brought me back, you know, bit by bit. So I finally found to find that peace. And you realize then that even if you have nothing, even if you're struggling to get food on your table, if you don't have a nice car and whatever you're doing, maybe you're cleaning toilets every day for your job. If you have Jesus, you have peace mm. and you have that joy that you're not going to find anywhere else. Yeah. It is only one place, and that is walking with Jesus, who had nothing, by the way. We need to remind ourselves he had nowhere to lay his head. You know, he has a mission. The mission is to show God's love mm. to the world. And you show it best. And like my life experiences, you show it best. If, like Job, we hang on. And, you know, that's the reoccurring theme, as I, you know, share a couple of other stories. Reoccurring theme in my life as I look back is that, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world. You know, that God is a very present help in trouble. And he has always been there. He's always trying to reveal himself. It, it's, it's astounding, really. It really is astounding. When I think back about Adam and Eve, you know, this faith versus presumption aspect. Adam, uh, Eve, initially, she stepped out of the realm of faith in God into the realm of presumption. If I eat of this, he won't do what he promises he was going to do. I'm not going to really die. Believes in a lie. And that's why we're in the mess we're in today. Mm. Is because, you know, we've forgotten that love and faith in God, love to God, develops a relationship that, you know what, I don't want to do anything that hurts God. Yeah. I love him so much. He's already suffered enough on the cross. How many more hand slaps and beatings and, you know, that he suffered through the trials and the Gethsemane, you know, anguish, you know, experience. Does he deserve to have to go through it again and again because I think that it's okay to presumptuously do what I want but still go to church, still profess to be, you know, a Christian? Um, no, I want to make him happy. No, a relationship's different than going to church, right? Because like a relationship, when you have a relationship with someone, you're spending time with them every day. True. You're thinking about them. It's a bigger picture, it's a, maybe, it's what a, you're saying, than just church. Than just I, church, yeah. than just that hour or, or a few hours a right. week. It's something that's always on your mind. You're, you you want to be with your best friend, right? Just like the marriage thing. Yes, just like a marriage. You don't want to just spend a, a couple of hours a week with your spouse. You usually want to spend a few hours a day with them. So in order for those to be fulfilled hours where you're at peace and you feel love, then more than likely you might have started your day off with Jesus because mm -hmm. Jesus used to start his day off with the Father. So, and we're blessed to have both of them, right? He, he, Jesus had himself, but Jesus went and prayed with the Father. Us being humans as we are, we can go pray and be with Jesus and the Father, and then they fill us both with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. Yeah, and we, that's a, and I just find the when my relationship with Jesus and God starts in the morning and is is something that I put forth on you know every day with all these other things start floating away, anxiety, stress, and ironically, worry about am I doing enough? Ironically, you're still going through the same trials, right? But, but you it, don't feel so big of trials because right. of what you just said. Right, because yeah. you have Jesus and you're reminded when you start getting panicky, Jesus, it's almost like 
you can feel him like a warm hand being like, it's okay. That big, that big elder brother. Right. You know? It's like, it is someone look looking out for he's, you he's all like, the I, time. I got, this. I, got this. I got this. I can help you. So, yeah. or he, it's time to walk away a little bit. Isn't it and, wonderful to know, Amanda, that, that nothing has ever surprised God? Yeah. Yeah. I you mean, know, I, we, I, we I feel like. need to let that sink in and think about that more often because nothing ever surprises God. No. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's coming. He, you know, if, if you're in Jesus, I love this, the analogy, you know, abide in him, you know, you abide in me and I in you, the same will ask what you will, you know, the meaning of abiding and in that love relationship, you wake up with Jesus on your mind, you go to bed with Jesus on your mind, you know, you can't wait to get to the word, you can't wait to get to more prayer. So when you're abiding in him, the beauty is, is amazing because you find such a sense of peace. He doesn't, I don't have to know what's coming in this trial. Mm. I don't have to know what's coming tomorrow because he already knows. Here he knows. And He's if I'm in him, us. if I'm in Jesus and you're in Jesus, well, when the trial comes, who's it hit first? It's going to hit him first. It always hits Jesus first. Mm -hmm. he, takes, he takes the hit. He weighs it out. He feels whether, let's see, do I want to let this go into Amanda or not? You know, do I want Kurt to feel this experience? Can I do something with this? Can I draw him to my heart mm. and help him trust me more, grow his faith and grow his love in, in me? And once he weighs it out, you know, how much has he spared us from it is what I would like to see one day. Honestly, I, <laughs> how, how I shouldn't times? even be sitting here, no. more or less married for almost 15 years and with four children. I mean, the way that I was living before my teens and in my early 20s, honestly, I should be dead because I was just really playing with that all, line of death in be. a sense. And so is that kind of like what happened to you after you broke the tapes? You know, you got off the morphine, you're, you're healed from the the Doombergy accident. Yep. You, you already had a year of... Um, the university under your belt and right. at the time you said you were going for counseling so how like how old were you now like 20 21 where did you find yourself where you're like man i really want that it relationship was, back with jesus that i had when i was a little kid right i started um you know it was college was still occasionally sleeping in skipping church you know it wasn't a come out immediately like wow okay i surrender god um but keep in mind, I hadn't purposely rejected him. You know, I never woke up, even in the midst of doing these things. It wasn't like I was saying, I said to myself, you know what? Yeah, I'm not listening to you, God. You know, leave me alone. I want to do this. I just was caught up into this getting attention from the, the most popular guys, getting attention from girls that I wished I had gotten attention from, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day. So I had never rebelled against him. You know, it was the yeah. enemy leading me little by little, you know, again, that spider web thing and keep wrapping more and more around me until I find myself in a dilemma. How did I get here? Yeah. You know, and so this is, again, the mercy and love of God. You know, I just, I am so thankful. So in that, in those college years, I would read every now and then. I have this, had this book. I'd love to go back and reread over a story of redemption, it's called. And it's basically kind of a compilation of the whole Bible and just sharing in a, in a nutshell each of the touching on the stories. And mm -hmm. I would always go back and I would read and a lot of scriptures in it and I'd read my Bible. And I remember my best friend, he'd often come in, his friends, always a late a night owl. And I was always the early bird. You know, I, I wanted to go to sleep at nine o'clock in college <laughs> and get up and study three o'clock in the morning or whatever. And he'd come in and, and I'd be reading 
you know, my Bible or reading the story of redemption and, oh, there's Kurt. And he'd say, make fun of me in front mm-hmm. of his friends. He had always a group of friends coming in with him. He was in a different, different uh, section of schooling than I was. Oh, here's Kurt reading the Bible again, you know, and they'd all laugh. Yeah. And I'd just turn, smile, and I'd just keep reading, you know. And I didn't, you know, God helped me have the strength to not let it bother me. Mm-hmm. And so it was bit by bit. It wasn't every day, but as long as I kept reading every day, I found strength. God get me through that next test, you know, when I didn't prepare like I should have. And I think it was by, you know, after graduation time, I started dating uh, the woman who had become my wife, Kim. And, uh, you know, about a year after out of college, uh, you know, she kind of tugged me, you know, away from in that world. And somewhere in that junior year, I think I finally made a decision. You know what? Yeah, this is not for me. You know, I'm done with, you know, doing any of the any kind of partying type stuff. And I just I really don't want this anymore. And so, you know, the Lord gave me strength and used the influence of others and, uh, you know, to help me pull out of that. I didn't get real, real close to God per se, but, uh, you know, I, I kept, you know, going back to church and went back to church and started going more regular and getting reconnected with God, mm-hmm. you know, so I was married a year out of college with Kim and she was a former, uh, shall we say a missionary child. Oh, wow. So her family had, uh, they, they were missionaries in Africa and Kenya, East Africa. And her father was a treasurer, I think, and uh, working in that division. We have Adventist divisions all over the world. And I remember, you know, had a, had a, had a, the marriage ceremony and all the family, friends, and support. We ended up having uh, three kids. We actually had two children in this part of the story. And we thought we were finished, you know, having uh, with just the two kids, Stephanie and Stephen. And so I remember I became a teacher after a year, we were living together for a year, we began to have children, Stephanie being our first. And I remember, you know, the Holy Spirit was putting it on my heart to maybe look into maybe teaching. I love kids. I wanted a counselor. I wanted to be a child psychologist because I love it, you know, and help kids. And, and uh, so I made a decision. We moved back to Andrews area after living in Tennessee a brief time and uh, went back to edu- elementary education oh. and uh, got a degree, you know, getting ready to teach children. And so I got a job offer, praise the Lord. I started in uh, Ohio for two years, and then it was 1993. We had two, two children at this point in time, and we moved to, we were getting ready to move to Coldwater, Michigan, where my parents were. My father was a pastor. And so I'll never forget the day. Uh, this is what I call, you know, round two of my Damascus experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that wake up, you know, it was, it was astounding. I thought round one was bad enough. But I remember one day, it was in the summertime, we had not yet moved there. We were at the in-laws, my in-laws house in Berrien Springs near the Andrews University. And kids, we had a little kiddie pool set up and the kids were swimming around. It was like a 90 degree day mm-hmm. uh, in July. And I remember uh, we were gonna, going to eat vegetarian hot dogs. We were veg, you know, vegetarian you know, eaters and so, my wife uh, at that time, uh, Kim said, you know, hey, why don't you run to the store, grab some buns, we don't have any buns, and we'll have hot dogs, and it was a great day, just fun, and, and we were just enjoying it, just hanging out by the kids' pool, and so I took off, got the buns, and I came back, and I drove in the driveway, and I started to get out of the car, and I saw the front door open, everybody was inside, getting ready to eat, and I looked up, and I saw my wife coming out, and I saw a look on her face that I had never seen before in my life. Mm. And it scared me. And immediately my thought, my thought went to, oh, something's happened to my dad. 
my dad has had back surgeries. He's had some, you know, real tough times. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, no, something's happened to my father. And what came out of her mouth next was something I wouldn't have expected or dreamed about, you know, in many lifetimes over. But she's crying, and she looks at me, and she said, something terrible has happened. And I'm expecting to hear about my father, which was, you know, we were close to, we were close right. with my dad, too. And she said, your mom's been killed in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. The feeling at that moment, you can't really describe it, but it was largely, you know, it was, my mom and I were best, you know, best friends. Mm. We were tight. 27 years of age, I was at that time. And I remember being in utter denial. I immediately got angry. Mm. And I said, that's not true. And I marched past her. And I remember, you know, saying, I'm going to call my dad. And I was, I was angry. Mm. And I marched up the steps to a tri-level type home. And I remember my mother-in-law was sitting there. I had a good relationship with my mother-in-law. And she was sitting in the fireplace right there with her hands, face in her hands, and she was crying. Mm. And I remember at that moment, as I walked around there to go to the back bedroom to call my dad, I remember I had this immediate urge to pick her up and throw her through the front window just out of the blue. Because you were just angry. You were just infuriated. I was angry, and why it was her was because she was a mother. She was alive. And the best mother in the world, as good a mother as she may have been, the best mother in the world, you know, I just got news that she was dead. And so I remember that feeling. It was, was, I mean, I had to kind of fight it off to keep marching by and made me angrier, you know. So I went to the back bedroom. I remember picking up the phone and, and dialing. My heart is just in my throat. And, uh, you know, my mouth is dry as can be. And I'm typing the number and I'm waiting. And I'm hoping, I'm, like, I'm just not wanting to believe this. And my dad answered the phone and he's bawling. Mm. It's all he's saying is just, you know, Kurt, she's gone, she's gone, she's gone. Was she by herself? She was with a blind boy. She had been babysitting. Oh. And she had gone to Battle Creek, a back road. And, uh, and on the way back, there was two, two crossways and country roads. One had a stop sign that she was supposed to stop at, and the other one was a drive through and the other way stopped. And I understood later on in later years that uh, she was under a lot of duress. And probably, you know, she was the most careful driver in the world. Mm. My mom was that, that mom who would go to Grandpa and Grandma's house. My dad would say, son, get out, run ahead. Tell, tell Grandpa and Grandma we'll be there in a little bit when my mom was driving. Right. And that's how she drove. Yeah. So careful, irritatingly so. And so she had somehow gone through the stop sign and just didn't see it. Mm. You know, God allowed this to happen. A lady was coming the other way and hit her broadside right where her, her seat was. Mm. And a uh, little escort, I think she had, and just crushed her. Just crushed her body. Her neck was snapped. All her insides were crushed, broken bones. Most likely didn't, you know, of course you want to believe and didn't know what hit her. Most likely that's true because um, it's so sudden. And it literally, the lady, Massive must have, impact. lady must have turned the car where a corner of the bumper even went directly into the seat. Ugh. where she was at. The, the blind boy, of course, didn't see anything. Uh, he survived, didn't have really any injuries, maybe a little couple of scratches. And I remember, you know, I told my dad on the phone at that moment, and I was 
you know, starting to get choked up. I said, I'll be right there. I had an hour and a half drive to, you know, over to Coldwater from Bering Springs. And I've hung the phone up and I was in that phase of don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with me to my, to my wife, to anybody. I mean, I was in really a tremendous amount of anger. And uh, hey, why don't you call? She, my wife was trying to convince me. Why don't you call, um, you know, call your friend. Chris was nearby and he'll drive you. I was like, no, I'm going to be alone. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm going on my own which was the worst thing to do, and right. I didn't realize it. So I got in the car, and I began to you know, ride down the road, and of course, how do you, how do you deal with these feelings? You, you don't know what kind of Christianity you have until you face a trial like this. And I found out that I didn't have very much faith in God, and I wasn't as close to Him as I thought I was. I, I, you know, this, was, this, was, this was huge. So about a third of the way there, I remember... Wherever I was driving, I got this urge. You know, I talked about the music earlier. Yeah. I wanted so desperately to drown my thoughts out. I did not want to think. I was trying hard to keep this emotional door. I was putting locks on it, and I was putting bolts, and I was doing everything I could up against it, and I was piling furniture against it. And it started, you know, just overwhelming my mind. And so I literally, believe it or not, after all what God taught me with the music, I found the 80s station and I turned the music up as loud as the radio would go. Mm. And I just blasted the music to try to drown out my thoughts. And about a third of the way there, so the music is blasting in my radio, on my radio. And about a third of the way there, suddenly it was like this, this huge bubble from down in the pit of your stomach just came up and it got so big that I, I couldn't hold it. And I remember just yelling a guttural, man type yell yeah. you know just like saying no and i was pounding the steering wheel driving 55 60 miles out down the road yeah and I, it scared me and i quickly pushed it back down i got control of the wheel i think i pulled over for a moment you know and i refused to think about it and it happened and then one other time still music blaring you know god had mercy on me and didn't let you know because Satan could have taken my life mm. you know i know he would have given half the chance and happened the second time, and I was pounding the steering wheel, just screaming, no. But that wasn't the worst of it, because when I got close, right before I get to my parents' house in Coldwater, I would pass the school where I was, I had interviewed, and I was going to be the principal teacher of a two-teacher school there. And when that school began, to, I could see it up ahead on the road before I got to my parents' house. I'm telling you what, the rage inside of me that just burst out. I'm so grateful to this day that there was nobody at the school mm. because I rolled down my windows. I think I rolled all the windows down. And the closer I got, I started screaming and cursing everything about that school. I, ha- I, I hated that school because I never got the chance to be there to live with my mom and dad. I was excited to live in the same town. And, you know, and it breaks my heart because I'm sure it broke the heart of Jesus but I was so angry. Got by the school somehow, got control again, pulled up at the house, and there's cars there, of course, and you know my mentality is don't touch me. Don't come up and try to hug me. I don't need that. I need to see my dad. That's mm-hmm. all I needed. And I appreciate you know people always want to comfort. You yeah. know, I get that, but I, my, my, my Christianity was not good, and it wasn't at a strong point where I could see to appreciate. And of course, I appreciate all of them that were there. 
But they came in, they're all greeting me at the door. My father's in the back bedroom, and you know, if they just would have thought about it, you know, let them go, you know, just say I'm sorry as I'm walking by. But having to go through these hugs and thinking, yeah. really? Yeah. You know, that's the thought. You know, you're just self-absorbed. Because you're just so lost in your so sorrow lost. at this moment. You can't handle this. So I got back to the bedroom. He's laying on the, you know, lay, uh, sitting on the next to the bed, looking at a picture, just crying and crying. Mm. You know, Kurt, she's gone, she's gone, and he's touching the picture, and, you know, that that's a time when, you know, when one's wailing and, and and having a hard time, you know, the other one often gets strong, and so I didn't shed any tears at that point. You know, I just felt this, oh, that, that pain, and. I'm going to fast forward, you know, we went through the whole funeral thing. My sister comes, comes to the, uh, she was the last one there, my second oldest sister, Kathy. And I'll never forget, you know, she comes in the house and, uh, you know, she comes in the door and she immediately starts calling out for my mom. Mm. Like, mom, mom, and going from room to room and getting more and more. You know, going through the same denial that I, I went through. And, Mom, you know, she's yelling from room to room. Comes back down the hall and she's literally screeching, trying to march past me, that same angry, you know, and I just grabbed her. They met her in the hallway. My other siblings, my dad are behind. Everybody's crying, of course. And, and I just grabbed her and didn't let her get away. She was trying to fight me and I just held on to her. And I just told her over and over. I just said, she's, she's gone. She's gone, and she was hitting me in the chest, you know. She said, no. So. And that has to be hard because you're the youngest sibling. I'm the youngest, yeah. And seeing Trying your older to... siblings in pain and your dad in pain, yeah. you know. Because yeah. a car accident, that doesn't, you know, when people get sick, you kind of start preparing, you're praying, you're spending day after day. Yeah. Yeah, you can't prepare for an accident. But when a car accident like that is, there's nothing to prepare you. I've often told people, um, not maliciously so, or, but just told them, I said, I wish I had a year of my, my mom with cancer. Be grateful, yeah. you know, that you got to. And of course, it's not a time to be grateful for cancer either. But right. at least you get to say everything you want to say. The night before my mom was killed, we actually showed up and surprised her. I often did that. Mm -hmm. I just love to show up, not you know, open the door, and she had this big grin. And so my wife and I had shown up that day before, and she made a supper. We had a great time, and we started talking about something in a small argument. Or I would just I felt it was inside of me. I disagreed with something she was saying, and I got a little bit irritable inside of my heart. And I remember we were getting ready to leave, and and the Holy Spirit was very loud in my mind. I said you need to apologize. Oh wow! And he prepared you. Cause he I, knew. I could not believe it. I mean, I'd, my whole life with her, I'd given her my all. You know, I loved her. I knew I didn't have to, but I'm telling you what, and I didn't do it right away. And I was like, you know, that pride was fighting a little bit. I went downstairs to get her something out of the freezer, came back up and get ready to go. And man, the Holy Spirit was shouting at me. He said, you're, you're not going oh, yeah, until you apologize. Your <laughs> you know, sort of, yeah. sort of feel. And so I went over to her and I said, mom, I said, I said, I'm sorry. I got a little irritated, you know, do you not agreeing with whatever it was. And my mom, typical mom, you know, said, said what? I said, no, I, I didn't even notice anything, son. No, there's nothing to worry about, we hugged. And she was killed the next morning. Mm. And I'd gone out, you know, with that and hanging on to that pride 
you know, I felt terrible as it was just that I had almost done that and right. that I had gotten irritated or something ridiculous. So I'm, I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit and my angel, you know, whichever one or both uh, were, you know, gave me that peace. I didn't yes. have to go away feeling any guilt. So fast forwarding, I was, you know, I taught my first school year and principal there at the school. We moved there and and it was, you know, some painful times, empty. I had a lot of sleepless nights. You know, the enemy was working at me and, you know. Because you were expecting that you were going to have this great relationship with your family. Yes. You're, you're moving there with your wife, your children, you yeah. know. You're, yeah. you're back with your parents again. You're thinking, this is going to be great. I had this plan, right? We always right. have these plans. Yeah. And I, I try to tell myself, I don't want to plan anything anymore. <laughs> All I needed plan is that I need to brush my teeth and just tell my husband and my children I love them every day. Other than that, I, yeah, I don't want to plan yeah. anything. Well, yeah. it's, about, it's about the truth, isn't it? It was amazing. Great. <laughs> the year went well. Um, we built a Betty Jean Chapel after my mother. We named it. We put a little sign thing out, built a chapel in the woods right outside behind the school. And we often had, we had some benches there. We put up a makeshift little pulpit from an old stump. And we mm. put up a cross, a couple of cross things, and put it up behind there just to give it a semblance of, and you know, we had a lot of worships out there. We had a lot of vespers. The whole church would come, and, and that brought a lot of healing. The kids helped me prepare and yeah. make it all up and everything. And, and I remember one day, it was near the end of the school year, um, I remember I went out. It was a great day. And feeling really good at Peaceful overall, you know, for the day. And, the other teacher had gone, Darlene, great teacher, great support, her and her husband, boyfriends that love God were such a comfort. So I went out, I thought I'd go out, just wander out to the, to the chapel. And so I sat on the first bench and I sat there feeling peaceful. And all of a sudden, this came out of nowhere, Amanda. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this bubble thing something like just began to blow up and literally just exploded. I mean, within a few seconds. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there. It was a great day. You're not I'm anticipating not anything. anything. I anticipated going on. nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. And so I'm sitting there and this bubble just explodes like those three times on the way to see my father that when I got that message that first day. But this one was different. This one was literally an explosion, and I didn't see it coming. I did no pre-thought on this. There was no planning. I literally exploded, and I, and I felt this anger, this mm. rage. Let me call it really what it was. I felt this rage just explode out of me, and without thinking, I looked down, and there was a rock about that big down below my feet. And I remember looking down and I reached down and I grabbed this rock and I turned around without a thought and with a, the worst guttural yell that I could possibly yell, I turned with one motion and flung that rock at that cross mm. as hard as I could. I gave it everything I had, just yelling, just guttural. And the rock struck the cross where the head of Jesus would have been. Mm. 
And the next instant, as soon as it hit it, it bent the cross back halfway to the ground. My eyes suddenly, and my, you know, my eyes suddenly opened wide, and it hit me what I had just done. That I had literally, you know, taken the life of Jesus again. And the only thought in my mind at that time, that moment was, oh no, I'm going to be destroyed. Mm. I immediately hit the ground. And I was on the ground. My face was in the dirt. And as all I could cry out was I just said, God, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Over and over. I don't know how long I laid there expecting a lightning bolt. Please don't kill me. Please don't kill me, knowing full well that I deserve to die for what I just done. After some minutes, I realized the lightning bolt hadn't come. I was still alive. And I sat up. I remember sitting there in disbelief, this all with no no forethought. And I sat there and it was then that you know Jesus began to whisper. You know, he had been there the whole time. Ever since my mother was killed, he, he knew it was in my heart every day. I was trying hard. I would talk to people. You know, they'd say, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you okay? And after the funeral and, and trying to recover. And I'd tell them, I'd say, you know, I said, I'm angry at the devil. Mm. You know, I tried my best to make God look good. And I'd tell everybody. I would dream. In my dreams, I had a dream one night after taking NyQuil, which was a really bad idea. I wasn't sick or anything, and I took it, and, it, and you get nightmares, and you know, I give Satan and ground on your, in your mind. I remember in my dream that I saw someone that looked like my mother, it was my mother, it looked like her, come through, the, come through a door or something into my room, and knowing full well what the scripture says about, you know, living no they shall die, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, but the dead know not anything. They don't have a consciousness. The dead do not praise the Lord, Psalms 115, 16. And so I knew that, you know, Satan and his angels are the ones that come looking like our relatives that have passed away and try to deceive us. And in my dream, I literally, as he came through, I started pounding in my dream. I started pounding my mom, mm. which I knew to be the devil. And literally down to a small pancake. You know, dreams are really strange. Yeah. And then I went in the other room with my other friends, and I remember, you know, t telling my friends, gloating about it. See, I just pounded the tar out of the devil into a little pancake. And I was there patting me on the back and everything. Strange, strange dream. Mm -hmm. So I was directing my anger and hatred at Satan all that time. But God knew differently. Mm. As hard as I was trying to make him look good, I didn't realize that... Um, until that moment when I threw that rock at the cross, who I was really angry at. And I sat there, no lightning bolt. You know, I could tell him, you know, God was, Jesus was there and he was talking to me in my mind and, and I realized that who I, was, who I was mad at. I was mad at God. Mm. I remember sitting there in the dust, dirt all over me, and I said, why God? Hey, you know what? That I need my mom. Mm. You know how close we were. You could have stopped this. Why? 
Did you let this happen? You know, the thought in the mind, too, of your mom being crushed by a car, you know, that's a, that's a horrible thought to this day. Yeah. It's like, God, couldn't you have thought of some other way? Couldn't she have died in her sleep? I mean, a car coming through and crushing her body, a little puny, five foot two, little lady, you know, yeah. that loves people, that took on a brunt of, you know, was trial. literally taking home a blind boy. T and taking home a blind boy. Why? Oh, man, I didn't get any, you know, real answers at that moment. But yet I, God revealed something very, very prominent and very important for all of us and our, anyone who's listening or watching mm -hmm. this, you know, this podcast, this, this time together. I deserve to die that day. God would have rightly sent a lightning bolt or burned me up or threw rocks at me, whatever. And no one in the universe would have said, you know what, that wasn't fair, God, mm. because of what I had done. That day, Jesus revealed to me, you know, that he's a God who understands. He's a God who has compassion. He's a God who has, you know, long-suffering spirit. He knew that I didn't understand. He knew that I didn't really know him very well. I only knew of him. I knew that I found peace whenever I spent time with him. Mm -hmm. But I really didn't know him. This was, you know, a supreme test. Yeah. Much worse than the, you know, doom buggy. I'll take, you know, 50 of those, 100 of those versus this one. The pain. The pain. Your mom. You can't turn it around. I can live without the, you know, burned skin or whatever. But this, I can't have my mom back here in this world. And I know that one day I will. I know she loved the Lord and I know that she's resting in the ground, just like scripture says, Jesus compared Lazarus when he died, you know, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Mm -hmm. But I go to him, I awaken him. And so I know that, you know, my favorite verse, verses, First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, you know, those became my favorite verses after that, after this, a wake up call that, you know what? Jesus didn't destroy me. You know, think of those, what's the verse that talks about um, anyone, Matthew 12, 32, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Yeah. And I just didn't understand. And Jesus understood that I didn't understand. And he was there. He never left me. I literally just threw a rock and hit him in the head. And he took the rock, just like he did back then. And he took time to reason with me. And so I learned the most valuable lesson. I didn't get answers. I still wanted my mother back. I prayed he'd bring her back from the dead, you know, because he can raise from the dead, right? But I knew that somehow, some way, I'd have my answers one day. Mm. And that, you know, God would reveal to me what I needed to know, and, and I'd get to know him through this experience, which he led me to. You know, this was not a rejection of the Holy Spirit. I was angry yeah. at the one who could have, the only one who had the power to stop it. You know, the devil took her life that day, blinded her eyes to the south side. I have no doubt. Mm. And I realized, you know, that day just began a whole new journey. You know, this was one, I taught school, I think another year, and I began to have that urge to, you know, the Holy Spirit began to put in my heart, like, you know what? Yeah, most of the things in my life are really not that important anymore. Mm. Because when you lose somebody you love, you just want to get back to that place where you can be with them again. Mm -hmm. And even though initially my mom was my main focal point, 
You know, through God's reaching out to me and putting his arms around me, I realized that, you know, a number of lessons, one of them comes from a verse in uh, Psalms 116, verse 15. It says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Mm. And I knew that God cared. I knew that he was there and that my mother was in the Lord and that that car hit him first and that God allowed it to break through. And, and I'm sure it was instantaneous. You can't, so it's like hitting, you know, dr jumping from a, you know, tall building and hitting the ground, your heart stops. Yeah. You know, a human body, it, it can't keep beating and keep suffering through something like that kind of collision at 55 miles an hour. And so I found that, you know, my mom's death was precious. And I found that her favorite promise actually was Isaiah 41 10. Mm. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the righteousness of my right hand. And that became, you know, one of my favorite promises as I went through trials and they, they got worse later, believe it or not, in life. I realized that God has a plan. Yeah. Because allowing my mother, you know, to go to her rest, it awakened me. It, you know, put me on a whole new journey. I began to have a desire to become a pastor. Mm. Is all my desire was after that was, I love teaching school. I love all the subjects, but I love Bible. I love teaching Bible. Mm -hmm. And I want to just work full time to prepare people to find God's love to find a relationship that will be life-saving, to teach them how to understand the word. Yeah. That through thick and thin and through the worst of times, that's the footprints in the sand poem that we all have come to love. Mm -hmm. You know, Lord, how come only one set of footprints? It was then I was carrying you. It was then that I was carrying you. And so God showed me and, you know, pastoring door opened up at the end of that year. And, you know, God called us into the ministry. And I was... I was thrilled, I was scared because I'm not one to get up front. I hated communications in college. You have to give those presentations three yeah. or four a year. I, I, I was sweating the whole time, just, it was terrible. I'm, I'm just not my nature, I'm introverted. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough with a book in the corner. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, ironically enough, the desire really, I think it probably began at my mother's funeral. For the first time, I actually got up in front. I wanted to say something about this woman that meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I really got up. It was a huge crowd. Two ladies actually surrendered their lives over to Jesus and were baptized shortly after because of my mother's example and influence because mm -hmm. of her death. Yeah. You know, so God already showed that because of a death of one, and it's only temporary. Right. I'm going to fix that in the end when Jesus comes. And, you know, so I knew that what the, what the scriptures tell us. Two gave their souls to Jesus, and they're, they're following Jesus ever since. But I got up and I shared something about my mom. I shared about the car. You know, mom, my dad used to say, son, run ahead and tell Grandpa Grandma we'll be there because they were careful driving. And everybody laughed, you know, and, and it was like then, it was like God started a spark of, I felt a sense of comfort from sharing, you know, my testimony, my journey, you know, with all of these people. And that's where the, the spark that God began to fan. And, and create into a, you know, my dad used to say, hey, maybe you'll become a pastor one day, and I'd laugh. Yeah. Dad, yeah, not, not in your life. There's no way. I can't get up in front of it, getting up in front of people. I, I couldn't ever do, ever do that. But he was right. Mm. You know, the Lord opened up a door, and I began pastoring in Indiana, my wife and I, and, 
And uh, my mother never got to, now here's the, here's the beauty, the beauty of uh, the death of my mother. I had a vasectomy and so we were done with children after two. And God had a different plan because he is the creator. And it was two years later, exactly two years from the day that we buried my mother, mm. that our third child, Ashley, was born. Wow. So my wife actually got pregnant and beautiful irony of sorts, not really ironic. I understand now, but she even reminds me of my mother looks wise. Yeah. She has characteristics. She has a spirit of calmness that my, my, my mother had. Um, a lot of similarities and you can tell she's so you know from this italian mother matriarch you know the yeah. home that that i love so much so that's god and god was giving you a gift he gave me a gift to he fill had in mercy on you some of that void a lot of the void i mean i love all three of my kids and our kids it's just amazing how god let me know look i'm here i know you don't understand that everything but because of that passing you then became a pastor yes. to help people. And then he had grace on you and gave you a gift of Ashley. Yes, It was kind of the same thing with us. I, we had two children, Katerina and Christiana, and mm. six months after um, Christiana was born, Tim's mom passes on the 4th of July, mm. three days after her birthday, and she was sick. And so it, was, it wasn't sudden, no. um, but the sickness took over very quickly. Still a tragedy. And three weeks later, I become pregnant with Gabriella. Hmm. And Gabriella looks just like Isn't Tim's mom. Blonde hair, blue eyes, wow. you know, real small and cute and sassy. What a, what a gift. And it's just, and, and I'm a dark-skinned individual, and yet I here I am, God had mercy and grace and a gift and gave us Gabriella mm. and, she, and she's my only child out of four that has the blue eyes and the blonde hair isn't that something it is it's, it's a true and our, our daughter Ashley too is lighter skinned my mother was lighter skinned yeah she, it's my older daughter is much darker skinned mm. yeah it's isn't that something isn't yeah. that just like God it is just and like what something God would do such a gift Thank you for listening to Tex-Mex at the Northern Border.